greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make every great path straight, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The baptism with fire is more of a process than an event. And this process continues until the end product is achieved. In this broadcast, we shall be discussing what baptism with fire seeks to accomplish in the life of a believer in Christ. In other words, we want to talk about the goal of baptism with fire. We have since established that baptism with fire is scriptural. We have also said that it is the submerging or immersion of a believer in Christ into trials, tribulations, temptations, afflictions, deprivations, and the sort in such a way that upon emerging from such an immersion or submersion, his faith in Christ is intact and stronger. And last week, we saw what we must do, possess, or need to go through as it were a prerequisite in order to come out at the end of the baptism with fire with our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ intact and stronger. We said, one, we have to die to self and the flesh. Secondly, we have to pray without ceasing. Thirdly, we have to follow the Lord Jesus Christ all the way. And fourthly, we said that we have to be led by the Spirit of God with the result manifesting in joy whilst we are going through these trials, in endurance, ability to go through them without complaining or murmuring, with patience, patiently waiting, with our faith, believing God and holding on to God. Indeed, the fruit of the Spirit must be manifest in our lives. But what is the goal of baptism with fire? What does it seek to achieve in the life of a believer? First and foremost, before we say anything else, let me point out very quickly that baptism with fire is not punishment for a wrong that you have done. If you've done something wrong and you are facing discipline on that, that is something wrong. That is not baptism with fire. You have done something wrong and you are being punished for that. Baptism with fire is not punishment for something you have done wrong. Indeed, you have done nothing wrong. Let's look at a few scriptures here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, from verse 18 to 23, 1 Peter 2 from 18 to 23, the Bible says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So it is not punishment. No, it is God's way of achieving certain goals in the life of the believer. And that's what we want to look at. But before we do that, let me read First Peter chapter 4 and I read verse 14 to 16. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. God is glorified when you go through the baptism with fire. So it's not punishment. In verse 15 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Don't go and get yourself involved in evil deeds, 
in wrong things. And then you now say you are going through baptism with fire. No, that's not baptism with fire. You are being punished for doing something wrong. In verse 16, it says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, that is, you are suffering because you are a Christian, you have been persecuted because you are serving Christ, not because you have gone contrary to the law of the land, which God sanctioned. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So we want to set it forth here. Baptism with fire is not punishment for something you've done wrong. No, it has nothing to do with that. Baptism with fire is what God passes us through as his children so that we can be stronger. We can be able to withstand anything that comes our way as believers. So what is the goal of baptism with fire? What does it seek to achieve? Number one, it purges the Christian of carnality, worldliness, fleshliness, and so on and so forth. In 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love the world, love of the Father is not in you. James mentioned in chapter 4 verse 4, Anybody who even desires to have friendship with the world has made himself an enemy of God. In verse 6 it says, For all that is in the world, and these are the things in the world, the loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible tells us, I'm reading some of these scriptures because I want us to appreciate how scripture is marrying scripture and laying emphasis on where the emphasis should be. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, it says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So, baptism of fire comes to purge us of carnality, of worldliness, of fleshliness, of lusting after the world, of lusting after everything that our eyes see, of being proud and arrogant about what we think we are or have achieved. That is one of the things. It comes to purge us. Secondly, it prunes the Christian for more fruitfulness. In John chapter 15, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking to his disciples on the eve of his departure, said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So when you begin to bear fruit, you become a candidate for pruning because God wants the fruit to be more. And here we are speaking of the fruit of the Spirit. As soon as there are indications that you are now beginning to bear the fruit of the Spirit, we are beginning to see the fruit of love, the fruit of joy, the fruit of peace, the fruit of long-suffering, the fruit of gentleness, and so on and so forth, of self-control, of faithfulness, of goodness, of kindness. As soon as those fruits begin to appear, God begins to prune again. They could be painful processes, but the essence of it is to bring us into more fruitfulness. In Matthew chapter 7, 15 to 20, the Bible tells us that by their fruit, you shall know them. Not by the number of people they have gathered in a church building, not by the number of books they have written, not by the sermons they have preached, but by their fruit. When God comes to inspect Christians, he comes to look for fruit. He's not looking at how many people are in the church. He's not looking at how many people you are ministering to necessarily. He's looking out for fruit. Because if you are ministering to a million people and there is no fruit in your life, 
All that million people will mean nothing in the end. Just imagine a man who has a massive congregation is not only accused, but convicted of stealing in his office. What do you think will become of the people who sat under his ministration, listening to him speak against the ills of society? He has made himself a hypocrite and has caused blaspheme to come to the name of God. The third thing that baptism with fire seeks to accomplish is it purifies the Christian so that their service to God can be acceptable. In Malachi chapter 3, from verse 1 to verse 4, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. God is saying here that when the Lord Jesus comes, he is going to purge his priests, those who minister at his altar. Today, we are a royal priesthood. And so he comes through baptism with fire to purge us, to purify us, so that the service that we give to God will be acceptable. In Haggai chapter 2, reading from verse 11 to 14, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of this, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. What is God saying here? Holy meat is carrying something on your person. It's like saying you have carried holy water. It doesn't make you holy. Putting anointing oil on your body doesn't make you holy. And that's why he now refers to if one who is unclean, if the person is unclean, his service is unclean. So baptism with fire comes to purify the individual. It's not about carrying the Bible, which is a holy book. It doesn't make you holy. It doesn't make your service holy. It's not about carrying a message and saying you are preaching. It doesn't make you holy. It is who you are that God is interested in. So God comes through the baptism with fire, which we have discussed in terms of the purging, and he comes to purify so that our service to him can indeed be acceptable unto him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of service. We are to present our bodies, soul, body, spirit before God as acceptable. And so the purging comes, the purifying is done to bring us to that place through baptism with fire. Fourthly, it proves the genuineness of the Christian's faith in Christ. And it also proves their character, their nature, that it is in conformity with the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, the Bible tells us that the challenges that we face in life are there to try us as gold is passed through the fire. So are these things as a fiery trial to prove the genuineness of our faith. If we truly believe, so we face the challenges of life to prove whether we truly have faith. There are many people who are in church today who at the slightest discomfort 
or inconvenience, begin to speak words that when you listen, you'll be wondering, are these Christians? The same thing is said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 19. He says, we should not think it strange, the fiery trials that we are about to face. He says, because that is how we are being prepared, that if we suffer for Christ, so be it. It is a good thing, particularly if we are suffering according to the will of God. And in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10, the Bible says, if in the day of adversity you faint, your strength is small. So when we go through baptism of fire and we come out at the other end, it proves that our faith is indeed strong, that our faith is indeed genuine, that indeed our trust in God is resolute and that nothing can shake it. And this process continues each time to prove us that we are standing in the Lord. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 4, the Bible tells us that we can rejoice when we go through trials and tribulation because they work in us perseverance or endurance or patience. And patience builds in us character. So when we go through these things, it's the mechanism by which God proves and puts in us the character that we need. Look for a man who has not gone through the trials and tribulations orchestrated under the baptism with fire. And I will show you a man that will boast at any turn. But when you see somebody who has gone through the baptism with fire, you will see the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in his life because he has passed through the fire as it were. He has gone through trials, he's gone through tribulations, he's gone through temptations and have overcome. He's better able to appreciate what other people are going through. He cannot be boastful. Another thing that baptism with fire seeks to achieve is that it seeks to perfect the Christian. It seeks to bring completion as it were to the Christian. Let me read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Scripture is given to correct us, to make us see what is wrong with us and to bring us to the right path. In verse 17 it says, that the man of God may be complete or perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is what baptism with fire seeks to accomplish in our lives, to perfect us through trials, through tribulations, through temptation. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, the genuineness, the proving of your faith, produces patience. But let patience have its perfect or complete work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God does not want you to be wanting in anything as a Christian. He wants you to stand strong as a believer, not one that falls for anything, but one that stands firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, the Bible says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. The Bible says suffered a while. Sometimes this suffering a while could take a long time. But as far as the Bible is concerned, it is a while in comparison to eternity. So baptism with fire seeks to perfect the Christian, to make you a complete person, one who is full of good works, perfecting the saints, bringing you to the place of perfection in the things of God. It doesn't mean that you would not make some errors now and then. No, we're talking of a completeness as one that God can use. 
One, who, when you make a mistake, you know that you have made a mistake and you quickly repent of it and correct it never to make the mistake again. Baptism with fire patterns the Christian after Christ. It brings the Christian to be patterned after the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 15, verse 18 to 21, the Lord Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. The Lord is saying here that we are going to be treated like he was treated. And baptism with fire brings us to that place where we are being patterned, being fashioned in the mold of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8 verse 29, the A part, it tells us that God made up his mind that all those who he had predestined to come to Christ must be conformed to his image. There is nobody that God has called into the kingdom that will look differently from the Lord Jesus Christ in character, in nature. We must be conformed to his image like him. So it will be strange to be in the kingdom of God and to look like a child of Satan. It will be strange to say that you are a Christian and you are displaying the nature of Satan. It will be strange. That is why the Bible encourages us in Galatians chapter 5 that we should be led by the Spirit of God. And that if we are led by the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit will be manifest in our lives. He says that when we refuse to be led by the Spirit of God and we are led instead by the flesh, then we will see the manifestation of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, idolatry, sorcery or witchcraft, envy, jealousy, party spirit, outbursts of anger, and so on and so forth. So the baptism with fire comes to pattern us. I want you to look at it like a bottling process where you have the molten silicon coming out and then it is molded to get the exact shape of the bottle. If the bottle shape is not in conformity with the way it should be, the cork will not be able to sit on it. So the shape must be right. In the same way, we must be patterned according to Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible tells us verse 1 and 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as their children. That is, be in conformity, be conformed, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Be patterned along with how Christ was patterned. He was selfless. He was not selfish. His love was the love for the Father and the love for all men. A Christian who is patterned according to Christ loves all men, even those who want to kill him. A Christian does not discriminate on the basis of religion, on the basis of political affiliation, on the basis of whatever it is you are. For example, if you are a member of the LGBTQ family, a Christian does not discriminate against you. However, a Christian would rather want you to know that you can be free from that lifestyle. The Christian would tell you that that is not an appropriate lifestyle for a child of God. And he will show you through scriptures that God has said that it is because you have refused to acknowledge him. That is why you are doing what you are doing. It doesn't mean that he hates you. No, it's actually out of love for you. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. So when I share the gospel to people, it is not because I hate them. It is because of the love of God. Paul would say, the love of God constrains us knowing 
the terror, when I know the terror that you are going to face when you do something wrong, I cannot but tell you the truth. The Christian doesn't hate anybody. A true Christian does not hate anybody. He dislikes evil, but not the person who is doing the evil. Because he knows that the person who is doing the evil is being influenced, is being manipulated, is being used, is being orchestrated by Satan. So he is able to remove the bathwater and deal with the baby. Being patterned according to Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 to 20, again Paul writes, he says, Brethren, join in following my example and know those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Because they are following Christ's pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of God. A man who is not patterned in the way that he should walk as Christ walked is an enemy of the cross of Christ. He is living contrary to the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ said, if you are going to follow me, pick up your cross and come after me. So when you see somebody who is speaking every time about pleasure, about enjoyment, about owning houses, about having money and other things, and does not tell you the meat of the gospel. You have found somebody who has not patterned himself according to Christ. In verse 19, it says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. It is what they want to eat that they are in the ministry for. That's where they are now tuned to. I wonder how many cars you want to drive when you die. When people die, the cars are there. The houses are there. There are many houses all over the world who the original builders have gone. The people who are living there now, some of them didn't even know how those houses were built. What the initial builder went through to put it up. He had, he had left it and had gone. Likewise, we shall also leave it and we shall go. Don't pattern your life according to these people. Whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. They glory in things that are shameful. They glory in the fact that they are speaking to presidents. When Paul stood before the Roman emperor, who was the emperor of the world, as it were. It was not to hobnob with him. It was to preach the gospel to him in defense of why he was imprisoned. That he was preaching the gospel. He went there and preached the gospel. We go there to hobnob, to whine and to die, to be under the influence of power. Human power, which doesn't mean anything. Who set their mind on earthly things. They don't follow those people. Their mind is set on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism with fire seeks to pattern us in the mold of the Lord Jesus Christ. His face was set on pleasing the Father, on doing the will of the Father. Baptism with fire comes to eliminate those things that would have turned our eyes away from setting it on God and on his will and his counsel. Finally, baptism with fire presents the Christian at the end of the process to the father and says he is approved. So baptism with fire is that process. At the end of it, it marks our approval. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the message of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As long as you are not transformed, but are still conformed to the fashion of this world, you will never know the will of God. 
you will never be able to prove that this is the will of God because the will of God is good. It may look bad to somebody who is patterned according to the world. But when you are patterned according to Christ, it is good. The will of God is good to the spirit of God. It is acceptable to the spirit of God. It may not be acceptable to the world, but it is acceptable to the spirit of God. And it is perfect. You can't add to it. You can't subtract from it. It is only when you are transformed into the image of Christ through the agency of the word of God and the action of the Spirit of God in your life, that you will be able to know these things and say, yes, this is the will of God. Give you an example. A young lady wants to get married. Two men approach her. One is well-to-do. The other is a nobody. The natural inclination of the fleshly man is to go with the well-to-do brother. But if that sister had been baptized with fire, she will know to ask the Lord. And if the Lord says it is the fellow who doesn't have anything, she will accept why? Because she trusts God that it is not about the money. It is about the will of God for my life. There are many young men and women today whose marriages have gone bust. They've produced children in those marriages and the marriages have gone bust. Why? Because they did not go according to the plan of God. They did not allow themselves to be transformed. They were still in conformity to the world and they found themselves in disastrous conditions. Some others did not do anything wrong. They have to go through it because they did not want to painstakingly pass through that process in the beginning. Now, within the marriage, they must pass through the process. When you go through baptism with fire and you are facing a challenge, you will know that this is the will of God. It may be difficult, but it's the will of God. It may be inconvenient, but it's the will of God. Let me show you a scripture in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read from verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was a choice he made. He could have said, I want to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter because that would make him to be in line to the throne or at least he will enjoy the lagis of royalty in Egypt. Bible says in verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. When we are not ready to go through the baptism with fire, we rather want to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin rather than suffering affliction along with Christ. In verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. In verse 27, he says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. For many people who say they are Christians, they cannot forsake the world. They cannot forsake their jobs because they are dependent on those things. Their faith is actually in those jobs. It's not in God. That's why it's very difficult. When God is calling them to come out and serve him, they can't. Baptism with fire seeks to bring us to the place where at the end of it all, we can be presented to God and say, this is him. He's qualified. He's approved. Let me read. Philippians chapter 2, from verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Speaking of humility here, preferring others to yourself. In verse 4, it says, Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Selflessness. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, equal in power in everything with the Father. But he didn't think that he was losing anything by coming to the earth in human form. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. 
He made himself. The Englishman says, he that is down need fear no fall. When you make yourself of no reputation, it doesn't matter what they say. If you say, I am nothing, let them say you are nothing. But the way we conduct ourselves, especially church leaders, we think ourselves to be so great. So when they say we are nothing, we are annoyed. Our followers are annoyed because we have been boasting to our followers that we are something. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Being found as a man, he went further humbling himself, listening to the Father, allowing himself to be crucified. When they were telling him, you that you have power, bring yourself down. He stayed there on the cross. He could have done it, but he stayed there on the cross. Why? He was being obedient to the Father. Many of us are so touchy and edgy about who we are that a little challenge, we take it up. I want to prove that I'm a man of God. If I be a man of God, let us so happen to you. It is not like that. The Lord Jesus Christ told Pontius Pilate, he said, don't you know that I can call an army of angels now? That my kingdom is not of this world. In my kingdom, we don't do that kind of thing that you people do, bragging over things. We listen to the king in verse 9. It says, therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Having gone through his own baptism with fire, he came out at the other end standing firm, standing strong. The Bible says how God highly exalted him, placed him to a height, far above principalities and powers, above anything, so that at the mention of his name, every knee bows in heaven, on the earth, even in hell underneath the earth, because of what he went through. Our reward is not here on the earth. Our glory is not here on the earth. Our glory is in eternity. I see many things, the glory of God, the glory of Christ, entering into the glory and other things. And all those preachings about the earth, no, glory is eternal. The Bible says if we suffer with him here, we shall be glorified with him in eternity. No wonder Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 and 27. He says, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified or disapproved or be found to be reprobate. In Philippians 2 still, I stopped at verse 11. Let me read further. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, walk out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't sit on the salvation of your father in the Lord, on the salvation of your general overseer, on the salvation of your pastor. Some people are so confident in their pastor. They say, I know I'm going to heaven because my daddy in the Lord is going to heaven. It's not hereditary, whether it is spiritual or biological. You have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is, live as God wants you to live. In verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And when we yield to him and we live the way he wants us to live, we come out at the end of that process approved, ready to be used by the master for every good work. Sometimes the process is a cyclical one. Come out approved, we do a particular work, we are passed back again. 
we come out approved, we do a particular work, we go back to pruning, go through the whole process again, come out approved again for another greater work, and then we come back again. Sometimes you would have preached to thousands, and then God pulls you back in for pruning and tells you to minister to two or three people. And you are wondering, what is going on? Say, go and minister to two or three people here. You are going through the pruning process, and the process again to see how you will respond. You recall Philip went to Samaria, thousands came, a whole city was excited, souls were worn, a church was started. Shortly after, the Holy Spirit told him, go to the road by the desert and stand there. Nobody. Then he saw a carriage. He said, run after the carriage. He ran after the carriage. He saw a man reading the Bible. He said, join yourself to him and explain the scriptures to him. And he did. At the end of the explanation, the man surrendered his life. A Ethiopian eunuch, you would have thought that at least Philip should be able to follow this man to Ethiopia. The man will take care of him and he'll be able to preach to Ethiopia. When they came down from the carriage so that the man will be baptized in water, as soon as the man was baptized in water, the Holy Spirit whisked Philip away and was found in Azotus preaching. That thing that others would have thought, oh, now he has entered into the fullness of ministry and so on and so forth and, and life will change for him. didn't happen. He continued to minister elsewhere. So the baptism with fire, like I said earlier, is not punishment for anything that you've done wrong. No, 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 no. It is the process of purging you, pruning you, purifying you, proving you, perfecting you, patterning you according to Christ and presenting you to Almighty God as one that has gone through the process and is approved. There was a time when we had quality control in industrial processes, what they call total quality management, where every stage of the process, you check the quality so that at the end, you have the very best. And that's what this process is like. Every time we come out at the other end, the quality is checked. If there's an error anywhere, you are passed back in the process line again to go through the process of purging, of pruning, of purifying, of proving, of perfecting, of patterning again, and now of presentation. After we are presented and we are approved, we are set to walk. We are set to do service in the house of God. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was driven into the desert to be tempted of Satan. At the end of that process, the Bible says he returned in the power of the Spirit. And Satan left him for a season. He was to come back again. He kept going through the process until the final one, which was when he went to the cross. And thank God he went through it all and was approved. And we've seen how God had highly exalted him and given him a name. Thank God for what he went through. Today we have the name of Jesus. Isn't it sad and strange that people are using the name of the God of Pastor so-and-so? When God told us, pray in the name of Jesus, we we'll rather invent our own things. And then when we face challenges, we are picking up the phone to call your pastor at 2 a.m. at 3 a.m. Because you cannot pray. You have no relationship with God. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. He said, when I came, I came with trepidation. I came not to speak eloquently. I came requiring to know only one thing, Christ and him crucified. Have you known Christ? Have you known him crucified? Are you ready for that? He said, and I preach in the power of the Holy Spirit so that your faith will not rest in my eloquence, but in God. Unfortunately, for many of us, our faith is not resting in God. Let me conclude by noting that the baptism with fire is inevitable. When something is inevitable, you cannot avoid it. You cannot hide from it. You shouldn't dismiss it. You shouldn't treat it with levity or be carefree about it. You should be prepared for it. So whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, you are in this baptism because you belong to Christ. Once you become a Christian, you are immersed into it from day one. Many young believers and even older believers will recall that when he first came to Christ, it was as if life was even much more difficult 
than when you were not in Christ. Because you have come in. Satan wants you to feel that this is a wrong thing to do. It's a wrong place to be. Run out. It's difficult. It's tough. But God has also created a way for you to escape. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says there's no temptation that has come to you that is not common to men. And God will be with you in that temptation. And he will also make a way of escape for you so that you'll be able to endure and go through with it. Let me tell you something. There is no temptation. There is no trial, no tribulation that comes to you that you are not able to handle. Go to God in prayer. He will tell you how to go through it. The problem is many times we don't go to God in prayer. We just act on our senses and try to solve the problem, creating a bigger mess. Baptism with fire is not optional. It is not a matter of if. It is one of when, where, and how. It is certainly going to happen. We are already in it once you are born again. And that's why when you get born again in many churches, they try to teach you what they call foundational class. The only problem now is that many of these teachings don't go to the depth of letting you understand that you are going to go through trials. They seem to be scratching the surface and never telling you that suffering is a part of the gospel. That you have entered into a war where Satan is the adversary seeking to vanquish you. But Christ is there standing solidly behind you. Put your trust in him and you will overcome. It's not optional. You will go through it. You're already going through it. By the grace of God, you will overcome. Like I said earlier, when something is inevitable, you can't avoid it. So don't try to avoid it. I'm sure there are some things that you know that you have tried to avoid it. After a while, what happens? You find yourself going through those things again. In fact, in a greater degree, if you tried to avoid primary one and run to primary two, what you avoided in primary one, you will face it in primary two. So you can't avoid it unless you're not a child of God. No matter how much you try, there are people who will not seek the face of God before they get married. After they get married and they face life challenges in that marriage, they will have to go and seek the face of God and say, Lord, are you sure I should have gotten married? But you know, with Christianity, once you are married, you are married. There is no divorce. Then you stay in there and the process you didn't want to go through at the beginning, now you have to go through it. Sometimes you can be in that process for 10, 15 years, praying, seeking the face of God to change your situation. By the way, many people, when they have horrible marriages, pray for God to change their spouse. For all you care, you might be the problem. It may not even be the spouse. So be prepared. Get yourself ready. Allow the Spirit of God to purge you, to prune you, to purify you, to prove you, to perfect you, to shape you, to pattern you, so that when you are presented, you'll be approved. My prayer is that as you allow yourself to be led by the Spirit of God, you will become who God wants you to be. Baptism with fire seeks to make you to be who God wants you to be, to be conformed to Christ. Baptism of the Holy Spirit brings you to do. Baptism with fire makes you to be. And if there's one thing that God delights in, it's not so much the doing, but who you are. What you do becomes meaningful when the person doing it is a child of God. If Satan does the work of God, doesn't mean that Satan is going to be approved. But if a child of God who has been matured, who has been patterned, who has been purged, who has been purified, pruned, prepared, matured for the work, is doing the work of God, he gets God's approval. And until we meet again, by the grace of God, continue to endure, continue to be joyful in the trials that you face. Let curse words not come out through your mouth. Go through without murmuring, without complaining, without grumbling. At the end of it, be guaranteed that you shall overcome. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Until then, God bless you and goodbye.